Welcome to a brand new episode of Sequel Rights, the podcast where we take a look at the franchises that make you go, they made how many of those? And we give each and every sequel a fair trial. My name is Justin Camps, and I'm here with... Elizabeth Helley. And... Tyler Hymanson. You're not yodeling Tyler Hymanson? Yo- yodeling Tyler Hymanson, <laughs> Inspector Tyler Hymanson? I don't know. Uh, I'm, uh, any, any of all. Any at all. Nice. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, we are back this week for another Herbie-filled episode as we talk about Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. But before we get to that, Eliz, where can people reach out to us? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're in quarantine, like we are recording remotely, you might have some time on your hands. So send us an email, sequelrights at gmail.com with uh, suggestions for future franchises or just your comments and uh, suggestions. And then on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at sequelrights. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, five stars, if you please. Uh, all the ratings do a lot to help us with the algorithm and get more listeners uh, into our listening family, so we really appreciate it. And even though we are social distancing again here this week on social uh, on, uh, on super on rights, social distancing rights, <laughs> <On> social distancing <laughs> rights. <laughs> we have no more rights. We are yeah. just... <laughs> uh, you know, we uh, we can still make new friends, and in that spirit, we have a special guest with us this week. Alex Reif, writer for the Laughing Places, with us. Alex, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, that's laughingplace.com, just to be clear. Yes. <laughs> illustriously famous Disney websites. It, it is. <laughs> Been going for a while. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, yo, Elis, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it for people who might not know and just about yourself and how you got involved? Yeah. Um, currently, the site covers uh, the goal is to cover every single thing that the Walt Disney Company does. And that includes the corporate Walt Disney Company. So uh, we're tackling Marvel, Lucasfilm, now 21st Century Pictures and all of its subsidiaries. Um, so it's 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 busy. Uh, I got started about six years ago. I worked for Disney at Disney World um, for about five years. And while I was there, um, I met the founders of the site who during that time had a kid and kind of lost time to really keep up with it and maintain it. Then I moved to the Bay Area, California, left Disney. And after about uh, four or five months of being here, I was really missing that company and wanted to get involved um, in some way. And so the opportunity came up for me to start doing a few like movie reviews, book reviews, going to local screeners and things like that. And then the site just started to pick up traction again. Um, so then it got bigger and busier. So starting in January, I've been doing this full time, but it used to be my side gig up until recently. I primarily cover anything um, Disney-branded or Fox-branded movies. Um, I do music reviews, book reviews, toy reviews, um, and I also cover events. So up until everything came to a screeching halt, I was traveling almost nonstop this year. Wow, that's so cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the okay. Laughing Place is a great website. Uh, if, 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 if anyone somehow hasn't heard of it yet, you should check it out. Uh, they got oh. uh, I, lots of great I can't much. imagine... As a site that, you know, covers all thing Dis- things Disney and like in the past five years, how much more difficult that has become. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, what's, what is nice about the site is um, we've brought in people who are sort of subject matter experts. So mm-hmm. I don't often cover Marvel because we have somebody who grew up reading Marvel comics, knows that universe in, in and out, knows about all the thousands of characters that come along with it. So when there is a tease at the end of a movie that makes you go, what, who is that? I have to Google this. 
they know they're the ones <laughs> who turn around and write like here's what that e- that little easter egg was um <laughs> same with star wars we have a lucasfilm guy he read like all of the expanded universe books before Ooh. disney pushed the reset button uh-huh. on <laughs> what's canon and what's not um and so even then you know when someone like uh who's that blue guy i'm a bad star wars fan um but when that blue guy came back into Star Wars Rebels, the blue face, Thrawn, Admiral Thrawn, yeah. Yeah, Admiral Thrawn, the name was yeah. escaping me. That's why we have a different guy for this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like when he came in, he was suddenly like, "Oh, I know Admiral Thrawn. Here, here are the three or four books that he was from. This is who yep. he is. Um, he's canon again, you know." And and that was a big deal for a lot of Star Wars fans. So it's nice having those people. I grew up in the Midwest, and Disney was always my jam. Um, I didn't have a lot of access to things, so the movies was really where I. I um, came in and I learned early on that those those white bordered clamshell cases at my local mom and pop video store with Sorcerer Mickey at the top meant this is a Disney movie. And so I would rent random uh, movies as Blockbuster came in and kind of decimated those. We had three Blockbusters in our town and it was like all of those mom and pop shops sold their inventory to those Blockbusters. So you could visit, you know, two or three of them and find a different selection of old Disney movies and I had no real concept of like when things were made. So I'd watch Freaky Friday and be like, Oh, this may have been made yesterday. (laughs) Um, You know, none of it made sense to me until I was older. But um, so I grew up on, on all of this kind of content, um, including the Herbie movies. Awesome. Uh, Well, I'm excited to have you here. It's great to have another, uh, you know, uh, Disney expert and Herbie fan on the podcast this week. Um. And this week we're talking about 1977's Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's finally time to take the peek at the trailer. (laughs) Here comes the raciest comedy of the year. Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. Well, you're looking at the winner right here. He's gone. The winner? (laughs) He didn't. He did. It's Paris to Monte Carlo, where the love bug is bitten by the love bug. I'm telling you, Paris and women have got him. When a car like Herbie is comes to Paris, he meets a beautiful Lancia that's also a car like Herbie is with, with a with a. When the men come by from the booby hatch, go quietly. Herbie finds the car of his dreams and a stolen diamond in his tank. Six million bucks. <laughs> That trailer just makes me shake my head like Wow. Is it Lancia or Lancia? I feel like they go back and forth. <laughs> they they, they're inconsistent. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know enough about cars to know what is the correct uh, pronunciation. Same. <laughs> the first yeah, and I feel like they chose that car to be his girlfriend, like just so that they could have one where the headlights like came up like eyelashes and, and yeah. stuff. And that was like really all it did. It was yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't have that many uh, affectations to it. Well, they could yeah. only rig one car and they spent all that money on Herbie doing the thing where it feels like that he's like resting his hands on his, his head on his hands, adoringly watching her race. <laughs> it, it certainly raises more questions than it answers about like, how do cars become sentient? And was it like right. Herbie falling in love with her that breath, like breathed life into her? Um, Cause she clearly doesn't have any powers until then. So. Yeah, that that first time that he is kind of like making eyes at her and she, you know, the headlights go up, you, it does have a feeling of like, did he just like wake her up, you know, from... Which also <laughs> makes it existence. creepy since she's essentially yeah. a baby. I know. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's like a Pygmalion thing. It's like, you're real. 
She's also <laughs> sassy, though. She's like, you're dirty. I don't want this. And then he goes yeah. and cleans up, brings her flowers. And she's like, oh, I can be bought. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there's, there's so this this movie just brings up so many questions and and we'll get to that. But the first thing I wanted to talk about that I was surprised about because I you know we go into these movies, you know, trying our best not to to you know watch ahead or know what's going on. But I I was surprised to see that Dean Jones was back for this. Yes, he indeed me was. Too. Yeah, and and do you guys know why he wasn't in Herbie Rides again? No. I just no. assumed because it's bad. Well, it, it is that it is that it is. Um, so I've never heard an official answer. Um, and it's one of those questions that I've always had. And he's obviously not around to answer it. But um, I was looking through some of his obituaries and I found an excerpt from The Guardian. If it's OK, um, I'll read. Well, I'll yeah. just. I'll read oh, that. absolutely. Um, essentially, he had depression issues. Um, let me let me just read it because it'll be easier. Uh says there was disconnect between Jones's wholesome image on screen and his real life. He had suffered from depression and said in a 1976 interview, I had thought if I became a star, I'd be happy. I had thought if I had a fairly large amount of money, I'd be happy. I thought if I had a house on a hill, I'd be happy. I thought if I had a Ferrari, I'd be happy. One goal after another was accomplished and with no fulfillment. I remember having lunch with Walt Disney one day and he told me, Dean, you're a perfect fit for these pictures. You're such a good family man. I wasn't a good family man. I was showing up at home smelling of drink and perfume that wasn't my wife's in 1973 which is right around herbie rides again time after marrying laurie patrick his second wife jones became a born-again christian this this affected the choice of roles he was able to play though there was nothing offensive to him in continuing with disney featherweight fantasies such as the shaggy da from 1976 in which jones plays an attorney who turns into a dog and the sequel to the love bug herbie goes to monte carlo 1977 so hmm. To me, that reads like his personal life was in a little bit of a turmoil. And just looking at IMDb of like, what did he put out? There really wasn't much. He did a little bit of TV work um, during those years. But until Shaggy DA, he was kind of absent from the scene pretty much. So I'm guessing he was going through some personal stuff and was unwilling to come back. Um, Buddy Hackett is another one. Like, for some reason, Helen Hayes plays buddy hackett's mom which is interesting casting um (laughs) but i mean he was around he was he presided over the grand opening of disney world in 1971 um and he was doing occasional tv work during these years but um one thing i didn't realize about him he was more a comedian than an actor um a comedian like on the stage and he had a significant gig in las vegas so much so that he was the vice president of the dell webb corporation which owned the sahara so I'm guessing he was just tied up in too many gigs in Las Vegas to be able to commit to a shoot um, that seemed pretty heavily in France. This was really an on-location project for Disney mm-hmm. rather than their typical film on the back lot and mm-hmm. borrow spaces elsewhere in Hollywood and use map paintings. Although there was <laughs> there there is a fair amount in the Angeles Crest, but there yes, seems that to be so. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> racing content, and there's also a fair amount of Golden Oak. Um, uh-huh. They actually reuse the same lake that herbie skids across in the first film um where he goes gliding like a skipping stone that's the lake where they go under instead and don Knotts's head pops up and (laughs) same exact location but it's supposed to be france (laughs) 
That's funny. Yeah, I yeah. was wondering about that because the the movie has a, a couple callbacks to the original film like that where, you know, and that, that's the most obvious one where it looks like he's going to go skip over the pond again, but then just goes down underneath the water. And they never mention in this one what happened to Carol, correct? Nope. No. They got married at the end of the first one. Did they? <laughs> Did. Remember, they were he, Herbie was taking them on their honeymoon. Oh, yeah. Okay, so yes, got, that makes it even weirder. I just thought right. maybe, like, they they didn't get married, and so yeah. they're just, like, not addressing that they broke up. But, yeah, I mean. No, they had an off-screen wedding or leaving on their honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now they're not married with no comment. So um, are they implying that they're not married, or are they just implying that he is embarking on a little, like, uh, you know, affair? It's outside of the country lines. It doesn't count kind of thing. I guess they leave it for you to infer, but like, you know, 1970s, surely there's a lot of progression. And some of that um, is certainly in the character of uh, uh, what is her name? The love interest in this one, uh, Diane, Diane Diane Darcy's character. Uh She's a very modern 1970s uh, woman who listened to I am woman, hear me roar and is, is not taking any of it. And, um, (laughs) And so it's just interesting because, you know, Disney wouldn't Disney. It would be, I'm assuming, taboo still in the 70s to have a character in a family movie who is recently divorced and pursuing another love interest. <laughs> so they just don't comment on it. And it's really, yeah, it's it's weird when you start to dissect it. Yeah, the, the whole the whole like timeline and setup of this movie is kind of confusing. At first I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, in the last movie they were talking about how Douglas went off to Europe and was driving all these European cars and now here he is with Herbie in Europe. So like, did the second movie even happen? And also there's all this talk about, you know, oh, my last race was 12 years ago. <laughs> but uh, well, and. Yeah, the movie the was 1968. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the 12-year comment, it's eight years after the first one, and he's <laughs> yeah. saying it's 12 years since he won a race. So um, I love that. Timing-wise, Disney movies typically had their Wonderful World of Disney uh, television debut three years after their theatrical. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if they just didn't think a third Herbie was going to go anywhere at that time. Because um, this same year, this was a weird year for Disney, Peach Dragon came out in 77 they really put all their eggs in that basket um it was a huge production cost for them obviously having animation in it mm-hmm. um took up a lot of time big splashy musical and it tanked um, how dare you no just <laughs> i love it <laughs> it is one of my personal favorites it's in my no, me too i'm just kidding i always say that that movie is great because it addresses the uh the rarely addressed issue of white slavery yeah, well, and I, Disney Disney Pictures were having a huge problem right around this time. Like they got progressively weirder, and uh, they were taking more gambles as they got into the '80s because they realized that their what would Walt do formula that that lasted for so long was waning. And by this mm-hmm. point, they had really run out of Walt's leftover projects to harvest from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Herbie Wright again was not a Walt project, but love Douglas. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, for sure. Um, I do like that they, uh, you know, one thing that we talked about with the last movie was like that there was no racing or anything involved. I like that they attempted to like recapture the first film and bring it back to racing. Um, And uh, you know, I do think in the end, like a lot of the the driving is impressive in the movie, but. 
overall, this is like a pale comparison to the first film too, even though some of the people yeah. involved come back. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, the, the first one was such a lightning in a bottle moment um, that all the sequels, just because they weren't, they don't seem like they were carefully orchestrated, mm-hmm. um, really were doomed to fail. But to me, Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo is the only true sequel to The Love Bug in, in the traditional sense because it has the main lead mm-hmm. back in the film. Um, and it's the only one that you'll get that from, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> for the rest of the series. <laughs> so um, it's like Herbie Rides Again almost exists in its own plane. It's it's like the bumblebee of the Transformers saga. And so it's <laughs> Herbie Goes Bananas and Herbie, uh, uh, the Lindsay Lohan one, um, fully loaded. But this one actually has Jim Douglas back with Herbie. Um, so to me, this one feels like an actual sequel. You could watch The Love Bug, and then you could watch Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo and not miss anything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because kind of, you know, the the plot is like, okay, the original one is about Douglas finding love and Herbie helping. So it makes sense that you would say, okay, in this one, Herbie's going to find love and Douglas is going to help him. But Herbie seems to like have gotten amnesia and not remembered anything about like love or how it works, which he was supposed to be sort of this expert guru on in the first movie. So now he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll get her to like me by making the female car lose the race, basically. <laughs> like, And like, it can't wait till a convenient time. I've got to pursue her now. And I don't care about racing and I don't care about, you know, any. It just it was very strange. Yes, Mike Myers and Herbie both love gurus. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but here, Herbie was the one, you know, like doing stuff to get those two together in their first movie. And in this movie, he just like goes rogue and just starts doing all this really misguided stuff. And like Douglas is kind of along for the the ride, but he doesn't necessarily like guide him in a better method. I didn't. I, well, Douglas being selfish is just his like natural character trait. But with Herbie. Yes. I kind of feel like it's the old adage of if you can't do teach. So like he's really good at pairing up other people, but when it comes to himself, it's really difficult. Um, it's kind of the way I foresaw. True, true. Yeah. Good point. But I do like that, that love, that little subplot, the little switcheroo there. And that's what a lot of sequels do anyway. They take what worked in the first one and they just reverse it or flip it on its head in the second one. So again, like to me, Herbie goes to Monte Carlo, despite not really spending much time in Monte Carlo, um, <laughs> is the, the actual sequel. Um, you could call it The Love Bug 2, and it would it would be a fitting title. Yeah, and it would, because to your point, it has the sequel tropes. Like, there's a lot of this where I was watching it. I was like, wow, this has a lot of the same types of uh, sequel tropes that Problem Child 2 has. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it was like, oh, let's reverse that. We have some different thugs, some different, you know, evil guys. Like, let's just plug and play these sequel tropes, and here we go. And it's. And you add a girl. Mm-hmm. And well, and it will. Yeah, Beethoven. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this one, it's just like, but it is egregious when it's just like they, they get married, and it's like, nope, forget it. Never mind. New girl. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I just don't like particularly like this girl, Diane, no. at all, because she has nothing to say except to yell about I'm how you you her. are oppressing her. Which uh-huh. is like, okay, I guess maybe like in nineteen seventy seven that was like kind of a like a hot take or whatever, and it was cool that she was standing up for herself, but like she has no other like 
side or piece of her personality other than to say, well, obviously, if you aren't, you know, doing exactly what I want, then you hate all women. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it's not a very nuanced take. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she's literally screaming this, like, <laughs> halfway in the movie. I'm a race driver. <laughs> like, super exasperated. <laughs> and she really gives it all up in the end. Like, yeah. she lets it all go real easy after fighting so hard. Yeah, which I also super hated because, like, if you are going by sequel tropes, she should win the race with mm-hmm. the female car and Herbie should do something to like, you know, he should have towed her out and then let the, not let the female win, but the female car ends up winning for whatever reason. But that to me would be a better, like, I mean, maybe it'd be more trite, but at least it would make sense more story-wise in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like th- there's a red car with a, with a driver and he's kind of introduced here and there. He actually has my, like most, my pick for one of the most awkward moments of the film. Yes. Um, <laughs> But he's introduced and then uh, really doesn't do much. You kind of expect him to be this big rival. um, And you could almost have had him try and thwart her, like him be chauvinistic towards her. And then Jim Douglas and Herbie could have come to her defense. There could have been a moment in the race where he's trying to um, do something so that she loses and then they fix it. And then she goes off and wins and gets her comeuppance moment. Like that would have made it more exciting because honestly i loved all the setup and then once the race started because it was so much more of the same and honestly nothing as exciting as you saw in the race from the first one i was like okay this is this is where you lost me the fact that nobody does anything oppressive to her makes it seem like she's crazy for constantly thinking (laughs) if you just have one instance of somebody being like oh this chick you know or something but like instead it just seems completely unfounded Mm mm-hmm yeah it's 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 interesting <laughs> not, that I'm, not that i'm doubting her truth you know if that's her truth uh you know <laughs> but i need yeah. to see some example because we're in a movie not in real life <laughs> yep well i mean it's interesting to watch it you, you, have, you really have to put your mind at, into you know what was happening with women's rights in the 70s when this was made because it really is specific to that time and i think it, it is lost on a lot of of later generations i think even five years later a lot of her character felt like it was overdone yeah yeah so what do you guys think about the uh the jewel plot <laughs> oh boy i uh yeah i yeah i i it's not uh you know this this is now the third like group of bad guys or not this is a little bit more of a group than just one main guy um and they are just super uninteresting. I actually at the their their introduction moment, I was like, yes, this is so absurd. I I am excited for this because they have this, you know, the, the guy at the museum sets up this whole thing about the advanced technology, this whole Mission Impossible thing, exactly. And they set it up, and he's like, and it's all set, and here we go. And he closes the door, and then there's this like weird music, like as like the, the statue slowly turns and it turns out that they were like standing posed inside the statue like hiding inside of the shape of it and uh i thought that was such an absurd moment and i was like yes this is going to be ridiculous i'm excited for right. these buffoonish characters or whatever and then the whole rest of the movie like nothing uh it was just not uh nothing quite reached that for me just that awkward moment there and um they're just pretty forgettable the rest of the movie. And they're not even like the mastermind behind this plot. It's the inspector guy. Yeah. Who's totally right. boring. The inspector. guy. Well, and, the, and like them both being 
you know, not the sharpest tools in the shed. I mean, that's what even leads them to put the jewel in Herbie's uh, quote-unquote gas cap, um, because uh, that's an addition that's unique to Herbie just for this film. Um, his his real gas cap is, is under the hood, and uh, it only exists in the spot that it's in in this movie just so they could hide it there. Um, but did you guys recognize either of the, the, uh, the jewel thieves? I did. Yeah. I immediately recognized the uh, chubbier one as uh Veruga salts father from Willy yeah. Wonka. Yeah. Quincy. Roy can you? Quincy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's great. Um, and then yeah, Quincy uh, Bernard Fox. I mean, he did a lot of things, uh, but this movie has two connections to Fox's Titanic, the James Cameron film. <laughs> uh, Bernard Fox uh, went on to play Colonel Archibald Gracie. And then Eric Braden, who's the red race car driver, Baron Von Stickel. Um, he is uh, John Jacob Astor in ah. Titanic films. So both of them reunited uh, decades later in one of the biggest blockbusters of all time. Damn. And it all started right here in Herbie Goes <laughs> <laughs> Without this film, the fabric of, of cinema as we know it today would be lost. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. You mean, so if we stopped this film from being made, we would not be having Avatar movies right now. Maybe. And, and you're not really having them right now anyway. Yeah. <laughs> experienced another production set. True, time. true. Um, that might, it might go on to be like the longest production of any sequel in history when they're done oh my God. it has to be <laughs> yeah maybe so and then what do we think about how does don Knotts fill the shoes of buddy hackett mm, he does not uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry he fills him up like cold soup <laughs> it's an interesting role for don Knotts because he's almost more of a straight man in this than he's ever been yeah, um right. He's really not given that many funny bits. He gets that one little moment in the end. I think there's a, a moment early on where he has a joke, but he's not the like crazy bumbling guy that he usually plays. Um, but what's interesting is the director, uh, it's a different director this time, Vincent McGavity, and he did a lot of uh, Disney work, but he directed both Dean Jones and Don Knotts prior to this. Dean Jones in Million Dollar Duck and Don Knotts in Gus. And the writer, uh, the writing team for this also wrote Gus and a couple of the other Don Knotts films, which is why it's so weird that they really didn't give him much good stuff to do since they were experts on writing for Don Knotts. Yeah, it's really weird. He uh, was expecting him to be really funny and then it was, yeah, it was just kind of like all right, he's playing like this a normal is why mechanic. Can't be in love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will not tolerate it. It's real creepy in the final car. scene. He yeah. really does. And also, it's it's really weird because Jim he Douglas and Diane, yeah. they're watching them and they're looking apparently back up. And are they not noticing that they're watching them? Because instead of watching the fireworks, Jim Douglas is watching his mechanic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. with, a trophy girl <laughs> a literal trophy girl super weird. um that was really creepy yeah and i'm like we were mercifully spared these two leads having to kiss because they had no chemistry whatsoever. <laughs> at least so instead of kissing her. they just kind of look at don Knotts, then look at herbie and it's like ah, the end they at least have more chemistry than the couple in herbie rides again though who are never to be heard from again Yes, uh, I, I, it's close in my in my book. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it was interesting. Did you also catch um, in the last one that the Herbie series is now part of the Flubber expanded universe? We yes. did. We did. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was really crazy. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, Disney did that with other things too. The Medfield College, um, which is in the absent-minded professors, also became the Dexter Riley mm. School, um, which is another series. None of them are labeled as a sequel, but there's three films that all take place in the same school with uh, uh, Dexter Riley. Is that the monkey, uh, the monkey's uncle, and all that. Uh, monkey's uncle was part of the. Uh, uh, Merlin Jones that oh, was Tommy Cello. Oh, oh, okay. so they made two of those um, those movies are weird because they are two serialized TV specials that went to theaters as a package instead of being on <laughs> Wonder World of Color so those don't play very well but um, no the uh, Kurt Russell Dexter Riley movies oh, oh, are from oh, the okay. there's Computer War Tennis Shoes uh, Strongest Man in the World and Now You See Him Now You Don't and those are the it's like a trilogy of Dexter Riley films mm. uh, and that, those, I guess, are what made Kurt Russell a big deal in his teenage and early adulthood years. Yeah, we were trying last week to think of another uh, series that um, had done the same thing, where it was like one main character from a different series is suddenly like a main character in a totally unrelated franchise. Like, uh, yeah, and that's interesting about the Dexter Riley stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And there's not a lot like that. I mean, Gidget is unique just because they kept recasting her every time. Um, which it, Gidget's not Disney, but uh, I mean, so many different girls played Gidget, including Sally Field, um, yeah. throughout time. But you know, that's a weird one too, just because each time it's like, oh, Gidget has red hair now, or now she's blonde, and now she's brunette. Um, <laughs> they didn't really care. Um, what else is going on in this movie? I I liked uh, you know th- this continues the. Uh... <laughs> The uh, emotional berating of Herbie to get uh, get him to do things people want. Um, <laughs> there, there's lots of uh, there's lots of Dean Jones yelling at Herbie, or you know Don Knotts trying to gaslight Herbie into thinking that uh, the the blue car, which we later learn is named Giselle, uh, doesn't actually love him, or you know just wanted to race. Yeah, him. and I thought it was weird when they uh, basically got Giselle to start driving by emotionally abusing her yeah. and being like, "Oh, you're nothing. Like he's already onto another car. Like that was so many, You yeah. might as well do the race." He, right. Uh, he's like, "We had to say this just recently to a Fiat and a Mercedes, and making, <laughs> making it sound like Herbie's out there like hitting on all these cars." Every night. Classic Don Knotts comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then when I saw that she had um, driven into the lake, I thought for a second, I was like, oh, my gosh, like she tried to kill herself. This is going to be like a really thoughtful, you know, thing like in the first movie when Herbie tried to kill himself, like she's trying to kill himself because they like lied to her and like he's going to have to like save her. But then like it was really none of that. No, that was just because Diane was a bad race driver. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. No How shot. dare you? Why but, do you hate but, women? She is burning rubber. Of. Also kind of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but yep. It's funny, too, though, because there's like, I, I think at least two or three Disney Channel original movies about female race car or motorbike drivers. Uh, Absolutely. In the future. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of funny that she's going whole, on and on. You could do a whole listicle um, and get up to 500 words with that. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> <laughs> Coming Girl to a laughing place near you. Yes. Yeah, so the sports <laughs> hero's 
a uh, complete list of decoms on Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I I missed the uh, the little like um, trilling flute theme. It's still there here and there, but it's kind of more brassy now. Yeah. and they it have like a new it. flute theme that to me just sounded like a Peter and the Wolf type thing. It didn't really sound like Herbie's theme. Yeah, the main thing theme comes back that first time that Herbie's like in that uh, qualifying race he's not supposed to be in. And, uh, yeah, it's like, you can tell, I mean, maybe you can't, maybe not everyone can tell, but he's like, you can tell it's like, you can tell it's like in a different key. And then like, also the phrasing of it is weird. Like, it seems like they cut the phrases short and I'm just like, why not just do it exactly the same as it was? Uh, why you gotta change it up? Uh, I mean, I know that this, you know, the, the composer for this movie, uh, his name is um, Frank Duvall. Frank Duvall. Yeah, and he's like, you know, Academy Award nominated composer and everything. So it's not like he's some hack composer. Um, but uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that they they changed that up and I guess didn't really focus on that theme too much throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah. he was probably like, I want to do my own thing or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it only comes into play twice, if I count yeah. it correctly. Both it's very 1970s-ified, mm-hmm. um, even though it's you know not that long after the first one. But um, it's kind of like a remix before those were a thing. Uh, <laughs> but it was interesting looking up to see, because I wasn't too familiar with his name, what else he did. And he wrote the music for The Brady Bunch and My Three Sons. Oh, and wow. then two films that I love that have great scores, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and mm-hmm. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, uh, which is kind of a spinoff project. Uh-huh. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was I mean, I, I actually quite enjoyed the score for this one. Um, he definitely got a lot of the uh, f- French Monte Carlo isms <laughs> in there here and there. Yeah, some of the score during the race, like towards the end is actually pretty good, I thought, too. Um, another thing that we get to see a little bit more of in this movie uh Herbie is a bit more autonomous, no pun intended, uh, than he is <laughs> than he is in uh, <laughs> previous movies. <laughs> We get a whole sequence of Herbie just off on his own. In in fact, like uh, I feel like the main like stunt in this movie is just Herbie driving around with nobody in the driver's seat that you can see. That's yeah. like that's like the that's like the star stunt in this movie. Kind of, I feel and like his headlights blink and his doors open and close. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm just trying to say that the stunts <laughs> the stunts are not as exciting. The exclusive Herbie moments are not quite as a uh, exclusively Herbie moments exclusive. are not exclusive. <laughs> he drives on the top of a tunnel. Oh yeah, in green he does screen. Do, yeah. <laughs> now uh, is it is it green screen? Is it still sodium vapor at this point? Yeah, I don't know. Like. That's a good I was question. curious. I was curious if you guys knew with your uh, in, uh, in industry. Tyler might know if if it's it's seventy seven, so it's really tricky, uh, especially because it came out in June. So it depends on how long it was in the can. There's a good chance that it was green screen, but it would have been fairly early. But at the same time, they would have done it for a single shot in a Walt Disney movie. Um, but you know, it's the same release year as Star Wars, so it would have to be you know. Probably not. It, it, it probably is not green screen just yet, but there is a chance that it is. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Star Wars came out a month before this and, you yes. know, movies used to roll out a lot more slowly. So I just can't imagine anybody being like, all right, time to go to the theater this weekend. Should we see Star Wars or Herbie <laughs> goes to Monte Carlo? <laughs> and I feel like, I'm oh, sorry. Is I thought it was like, a month after, right? Star Wars is in May, and this came out in June. 
Yeah, it's before the multiplex was really a, a popular thing, though. So yeah. most, most movie theaters were just one screen. So you have to imagine if Star Wars is still playing at your local cinema, Herbie uh, Goes to Monte Carlo might get one or two showings a day. Yeah. yeah. So this was probably more made to be on the TV show later, right? Which makes sense. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I don't think Disney uh, management saw Star Wars coming um, sure. <laughs> I mean, there there is the whole line of 12 years and the timing fits if it's its TV debut um, three years later. Mm-hmm. It, it's closer to that 12 year mark. Um, mm-hmm. And and Disney did a lot of that. Like I'm a, a aspect ratio um, nerd. And so a lot of Disney stuff, even in this era, was filmed open mat because then when it came time to putting it on TV, it was so much easier. They just cropped a little bit off the sides, whereas when you saw it in the theater, you were missing a lot of image that they shot on the top and bottom. And they composed it for that image, um, but they knew eventually this was going to be seen more readily in a wider mat. Um, mm. And so it's it's weird. Like People will obsess over, like, I had this on VHS, and I could see this, 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 and this in the shot, and now that it's on right. DVD and widescreen, I'm missing half the picture that you're using to <laughs> uh what do you mean alex that uh walt disney didn't see star wars coming uh star wars was always a disney property wasn't it <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah george, george lucas uh don't spread lies <laughs> protege exactly willow was totally a walt disney picture <laughs> yep uh-huh <laughs> labyrinth it's, it's not weird that that's at a different studio yep <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting about the uh, you know the the thought that they planned this for more of a TV release a few years later than a theatrical release. Um, I hadn't thought about that. I didn't know that was uh, kind of how that worked. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this is also a time too when you know this is like right on the edge. I think home video is starting to come out in beta in kind of a trial phase mm-hmm. um, in the late seventies. But uh, at this time, if you want to see a movie that's past its theatrical circulation you have to look up to see does the studio rent out um smaller 10 millimeter copies for in-home use and then you have to know someone who has one of those projectors so um i mean even from when the love bug came out i mean they don't really have to keep that much continuity because there's a whole generation of kids where this is their first exposure to herbie Mm -hmm. and uh you know there's parents who'd be like oh yeah i remember the love bug the herbie's here let's go see that um (laughs) you know so it's like familiar but you know it's 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 just a weird thing like nowadays you know if if a herbie movie comes out you can be like oh let's watch all the herbie movies on disney plus and before that you could go to blockbuster and get a hold of them um or netflix disc by mail uh if you're in that weird little in between time frame um yeah i mean it it is weird you kind of had to wait for the film to come back around or end up on tv and disney would circulate a lot of their films through their their serial show on saturday nights I love I love the thought of the the parents uh, at that time being like, well, child, uh, what would you rather go see this weekend? Would you la- rather like to go to Monte Carlo or space? <laughs> it's, it's the 70s. So it's like, uh, you know, hey, ladybug. You want to go see it? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's not Johnny anymore. It's, it's yeah. uh, Star Child. You want to go see? You want to go to the Star cinema? Child. Yeah. <laughs> hey there, Moonglo. Moonbeam. <laughs> Let's go see some flicky film. (laughs) (laughs) What an era. (laughs) What a time to be alive. What a time. (laughs) I didn't live through it, and I I don't understand it when I see it. (laughs) 
Uh, I I love that type of honesty. If like I didn't live through it and I don't understand it. <laughs> well, I mean, I that's what we that's what we'll be saying to uh, people twenty twenty years from now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know why I grasp like I identify with films from like the 40s the 50s and the early 60s and then once you get to that like flower power era i'm like oh what is this i don't get it <laughs> fast forward let's get to the spielberg era that's right <laughs> uh, oh, boy. What, what well the, uh what were you gonna say tyler go go for it uh i didn't have anything in particular to say <laughs> oh i was just gonna say that i thought one of the one of the characters that i thought was kind of interesting um just because I kind of felt like, you know, um, the, the Detective Fonta, Fontenoy character felt a lot Sasha like... Sasha Yeah, exactly. It felt like a prototype <laughs> I was say, Sasha Baron Jr. Yeah, it felt like a prototype <laughs> character that, like, maybe, I mean, I don't know, you know, what his upbringing was like, but maybe he maybe he had seen that growing up and was like, oh, man. But it felt so much like one of his characters that, like, it felt, you know, like maybe he had, he had that was some sort of influence on him growing up. That could be. I mean, uh, how, how old is Sasha Baron Cohen? Anybody know? That's uh, a great question. Not sure. Because, I mean, a lot of this stuff, when Disney Channel first started, and they would do those free free weekends or free months. But, like, when Disney Channel first started, they didn't have much original content. They were just recycling their film library mm-hmm. um, pretty much constantly. And then once they started making their own stuff, they relegated the stuff to the late night hours, which... I would stay up and watch. It's the naughty thing I would do as a kid. So, <laughs> oh no! I know. Uh-oh. Don't watch with children. Okay, but is Vault Disney okay? Can right. Be- yeah. <laughs> Starts at ten. Uh, he would have been six years old when this movie came out. So yeah, that's like impressionable age. Yeah. 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 That's, that's funny. Might be onto something. Did that's you guys have canon any- now? <laughs> it, yes. <laughs> that without without this, there would be no Borat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no Ali G. Um, did you guys have a most awkward moment in the film that stuck with you? Oh yeah, you, so you mentioned uh, you mentioned the uh, driver of the red car, and I'm wondering if you were talking about. Uh, I had this in my notes too. The, the moment, <laughs> yeah. the moment when he makes that joke about the uh, the gravestone was that where you, was that what you were talking oh. about? No, I was talking. So there's one I actually wrote down the the lines because um, it was so subliminally suggestive um, <laughs> of of, of uh, to me. I don't I don't know what it was. I think it was referring to Herbie the car, but the way their eyes move. If you go back and rewatch the scene, it sounds like he's suggesting that um, Jim Douglas's manhood is uh, not oh, up to enough. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So oh, he says, yeah. <laughs> so Baron Von Stickle, the driver of the red car, he says, that's the same heat I'm in, Douglas, and you're going to need more than luck. You're going to need wings. And then uh, Don Knotts says, oh, yeah? Well, you may be in for a little surprise. And then Baron says, I can see your surprise. It is very little. And like the way his <laughs> eyes go down and then the shot of, of Jim reacting um, seemed like he was talking about something else. <laughs> I definitely thought they were talking about his dick. Yeah, I, yes. I have that I have that in my notes too. Like Can't you're confirm. talking about his dick? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what, what it was. What's the one that you wrote, Justin? Uh there's the part where right right before they're about to race, like the two racers are there talking to, you know, Douglas and he says something like, uh, we're gonna bury you under a rock and he's like, No, not a rock, under a gravestone. And then like it cuts to it cuts to Dean Jones and he's like looking at him like he has no reaction. He just looks like, hmm, 
okay, that's what you got for me. And no, and it's like, it's clearly read as a joke and no one laughs or not even the guy standing next to him who, who is like, yeah, under a gravestone. He doesn't laugh either. And so it's like, <laughs> Douglas just looks confused. Like, okay. I, I thought that was a really awkward moment. Even the goons in France are lazy. Exactly. <laughs> I thought a pretty awkward moment was at the very end uh, when uh, Diane suggests that they all have a foursome. Yes. Uh, with Herbie, <laughs> Giselle, and I, Diane, and, and Jim. Yes. That was Knowing what I know so about scary. the 70s, I have to imagine that, that that read the same way then that it does now. <laughs> yeah. My... That a significant part of the audience who accidentally ended up at Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo when they <laughs> thought they were going to Star Wars laughed their butts off. I know. Yeah. And they're like, like, ooh, after this, let's go swing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also, uh, you know, and then another, I mean, this movie, I guess, I guess from this list that we have is full of horribly awkward moments. Um, like the moment at the end where, you know, you know, Jim Douglas, apparently at every moment that he can, he is like revealing that he's secretly racist or something. <laughs> like, he, yes. <laughs> he's like, well, you saw the first two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the first one. At least. Well, it's scary. funny. Cause they pull basically the same joke from the first movie that it went on a lot longer where Tennessee was actually speaking Chinese poorly, <laughs> but he said quite a few things in Chinese. And this one, Jim just says sayonara. And the reporter's like, all right, catch you later. He's but, like, yeah, whatever, Jim. Bye. <laughs> Well, then, like, his coverage. Yeah, that moment happens, and then also there's this part at the very end. So after the whole like, after the whole like, oh, oh, uh, maybe we should make it a foursome. He's like, ah, and then they're like, we gotta go find, uh, you know, where Herbie is right now. And they get in this taxi cab, and he sits in the cab and goes like, take me to the nicest place ever. You know, like, it's like the most romantic place in the or whatever. Why, do you, like, why do you have to talk with an accent? Why are you talking with an accent right now? It's bad enough that a lot of the characters like speak English with really heavy, like fakey French accents, but then when he does it, it's like even worse. It's so bad. Yeah, I it's thought okay. I, I, I laughed at how <laughs> terrible that was. Yeah. Um. Oh, there was another moment I wanted to bring up that like kind of you know. <laughs> strangely reminded me of one of our previous films that we talked about. There's like a, there's a, there's a part when um, Herbie is wooing uh, Giselle and they go to like, uh, you know, one of the parks in Paris and run around in the park. Like, like uh, it reminded me of Benji and Tiffany having that, that, that Ah. there's that whole scene where they're like jumping around in the park and having fun. Um, I just thought that was a fun callback to a previous sequel rights franchise we talked about. Yeah, it's it's definitely just like it, it is the sequel thing of just like let's just res- reverse the love interest, but then also this one give him a new love, love interest. Yeah, <laughs> it's the double switch. It's a classic double switch. <laughs> Once yeah. wasn't enough. Let's yeah, <laughs> it's like when you add multiple villains to a Batman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then additionally, like this movie continues to like have weird parallels to the cars franchise like yeah. uh, that they just like which just makes me like think less of pixar that they just were like okay that movie was about a sentient car let's just pull like random things out and put them in our movie like uh, i don't know well and a lot of those guys like a lot of the founders of pixar were going to cal arts yeah around the 
or a few years after. Um, so I have to imagine Herbie was something from their child, their childhood. So, you know, John Lasseter, I'm sure was a Herbie fan. Um, and it makes sense it would inspire that. But also, I mean, there's not that many family friendly racing movies like this. I mean, not that a lot of them aren't family friendly, but this one's very much aimed at a younger audience with with a little bit of humor to please an older crowd, um, whereas you don't really get that in Days of Thunder, you know? <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, I can see that, too, the parallels. Um, I don't not enjoy the Cars films, and uh, I don't not enjoy the Herbie films, but uh, the sequels are bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of thing where you can kind of, it's it's almost like a guilty pleasure. Like, you enjoy it for the cheese of it all, and I grew up in Wisconsin, so cheese is my jam. Uh, <laughs> oh. and, uh, yeah, I mean, they're not good. None of them are. But uh, I feel like this is the best of the bunch. It's all downhill from here, guys. You know, Justin's oh, no. also from Wisconsin, so I'm kind of surprised you guys don't already know each other. Oh, I mean, it's a big state. It like, is a big state. There's cornfields <laughs> between every house, so <laughs> makes sense. Nope, I don't believe it. That's you all know each of, other. It's kind of true. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, the, one of the MVPs for me in this movie is the... Uh, the waiter at the in the in the scene <laughs> yes. where Herbie is. Oh, like, the waiter's amazing. Yeah, there's this extended sequence where Herbie is like trying to woo uh, Giselle out on the street, like in front of everyone. And and you know most people probably wouldn't notice, but there's this extended scene of the waiter watching this whole thing happen. And the guy, uh, whoever is this actor, I didn't look it up. Um, but he's just like his reaction shots are so amazing, and it looks like he's like you're watching him lose his mind in real time. <laughs> <laughs> I did look him up. Um, I didn't write down his name, but he's primarily a French actor. Oh, awesome. um, so he really didn't do many, you know, mainstream American films. But I just love in the end when they both come up and they're like, where's my car? Where's my car? He's like, you would not believe this. Yeah. I would not believe this. I think they stole each other. <laughs> he is great. He did such a great job. And, um, you know, this movie, too, uh, last last week, and I mentioned kind of how, like, I can't believe that. Herbie just let himself get stolen and hot wired. Like, why would, why didn't he fight back? And there's like a repeat of that exact same scene, uh, where our criminals in this movie are like, he even like the, the one guy, Max even says like, I'm going to hot wire this just so you watch. Uh, but in this, uh, movie, Herbie actually has some more agency and fights back and doesn't get stolen, which I was like, yes, this is the Herbie that I, you know, yeah. with the attitude <laughs> I that I expect. Being with Jim, he got his uh, courage back. Yeah. I'm also a little scared of Herbie in this film because he shows a blatant disregard for human life multiple times. <laughs> he almost, the he little almost lady. that very old woman. Yeah. yeah he, <laughs> with her breadsticks. Yeah, I yeah. was waiting for her to beat the truck with her breadsticks. Like, break one. Just just go to town. He, like, he, uh, he, he pushes all those fishermen into the, into the river just to get to a girl. And, uh, yeah, he, like, plows through, like, what looks like a, like a gypsy trailer park or something. Oh. Yes, That's that really that terrible moment that aged well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something bad will happen to you. I just love like in case it's you so didn't bad. get it already, then they cut to the inside of a tent with a fortune teller. Yeah, I was like, yeah. do we need <laughs> oh, this? Are we being stereotypical enough? No, here's a oh, fortune teller. Yeah, teller. It's like it wasn't even funny. Uh, I don't know. But he's just oh, he's just barely missing people left and right. Care. <laughs> Herbie don't care. Herbie don't care. Yep. Herbie don't, don't care. care. Yellow's farm. 
No, no regard. That's right. He just <laughs> wants to get it. Mm-hmm. He really does. <laughs> this is Herbie's thirstiest role. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. He's so thirsty. <laughs> He's pretty dry the rest of the movies. <laughs> I have a note. So, I have a note in oh. my e- in my email here. Like Herbie just wants to fuck. Don't care about yeah. no racing. <laughs> <laughs> he likes that tailpipe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh god. Uh, yeah, and there's just implications if he's bringing things to life. It's it's all disturbing. If only yeah. if only the next one had like Herbie's like son of Herbie. Son of Ooh, Herbie. Yeah. <laughs> he had offspring now. <laughs> yes, let's just that would finally that. answer where the baby cars come from. Where do cars come from? We'll yeah. tell you. In yeah, 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 yeah. Son of Herbie. <laughs> it's part of the quadrilogy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! That I then would... becomes a quintology. I would, lo- I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> so Tyler, do we have any rating? Oh boy. Well. How many extento diamond grabbers would you give? <laughs> Herbie eventually goes to Monte Carlo. <laughs> Slowly, an hour and 41 minutes later, gets to yeah, Monte the same. Carlo. I always call that the Jason takes Manhattan problem. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. He even rode a boat in this one, too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I will give it um, four diamond extended grabber arms um because i i I don't know i mean it was nice to have gene dean jones back but i still think that overall it's a little bit worse than the last one um i don't the don knotts kind of humor is just not my uh cup of tea uh as the sidekick and um i really disliked this female character she was just kind of like over the top one dimensional uh even though you know the characters were kind of whatever in the last one i thought that they were better than this girl and better than the dun knots character so and also the villains in this are so just lame and substandard and there's like kind of like four or five of them that you could consider the villain where i think a strong point of the first two movies that there's one you know very uh ridiculous villain you know the villains for the best part they're like wacky racers characters yeah exactly so yeah it's gonna be a four for me yeah i'm gonna also give it a four i think i gave um i think i gave herbie rides again a five and i was like uh at the start of this movie i was you know oh man dean jones is back this is great this is gonna be uh you know maybe good but then what comes after that moment of oh dean jones is here is like a totally <laughs> lifeless film in my opinion yeah <laughs> um there there were still some moments of levity like we talked about um that that i that i enjoyed throughout uh, that didn't like you know lead me to give it a really low score uh and be totally bored but i just feel like this is you know does not recapture the magic and um in pretty much any way and like elis said like yeah th- there's no there's no strong villain in this. There's like these three or four dudes and they're all, no one's in like the leader role. Really? They all seem very bumbly and, and not in a funny way. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I was excited that it got back to racing, but, um, I felt like, 
you know, they really went like balls to the wall in the first film with all of the stunts and everything. And, you know, there's callbacks to the previous stunts, but they're just done in less interesting ways. Like, you know, Don Knotts even hangs out over the cliff at one moment that I was like, oh, this is clearly a callback to, you know, Buddy Hackett hanging out over the cliff. But it was like not funny and also very obviously fake. I don't know. Um, I feel like they just, you know, they had the budget, I guess, to film, you know, on location and use all those locations and everything. Um but uh, overall, the the stunt moments were not that exciting to me. And I feel like that's part of why you watched the Herbie movie. You want to see Herbie do crazy things. And and uh, that didn't really happen to me. So I'm going to give it four diamond extendy grabbers or whatever you said. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm also going to go with four diamond extendy grabbers. I think that the romance of it is really formulaic uh, and it doesn't really even go that far. And once it gets to the racing part of this movie, which is essentially the most exciting part, it's just kind of like, Oh my God, get it over with, like get to Monte Carlo. Like, like once the, once the race part of this movie actually starts, it goes on for a pretty long time and it is not all that compelling uh, in the slightest. Uh, And for that, at least in, in two, which I didn't, love really at all and i can't believe i like this one more uh you know at least as justin said the stunt driving there was a lot of crazy stuff happening and the villain was at least memorable Mm -hmm. because he wanted that flubber (laughs) that's right yeah well he lost the flubber so now he now he needs his twin towers (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) uh alex what about you uh you don't have to give a rating if you don't want to totally up to you no, I think I think four out of ten diamond grabbers is the the right <laughs> nice. number. That would be the the tomato meter rating. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, yeah. I guess that's probably going to bring us to the end of our Herbie goes to Monte Carlo, uh, and we'll be looking to see where Herbie goes next. Um, but in the meantime, um, Alex, thank you so much for being here uh, on this episode. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, where can people, you know, other, you know, than the laughing place or laughingplace.com, sorry. Uh, is there anywhere else people can follow work of yours or Twitter or anything? Um, all my main work is on laughingplace.com. I, I have my own personal Twitter. I mostly just retweet what laughing place posts of my work. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, my uh, personal Twitter account, it's Alex from LP stands for laughing place. Um, and laughing places, Twitter is at laughing underscore place. Awesome. Great. And um, to anyone who's listening, please support us by reaching out on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sequel Rights or send us an email, sequelrights at gmail.com. We're kind of at the halfway point of Herbie's, so we're going to need to figure out what we're doing next. So we need franchise suggestions. And as I've said on uh, weeks past in our social distancing episodes, feel free to go back, dip, dip into our, our archives binge some movies with us i recommend tremors and i think we need to call on netflix to release that tremor sequel yes. uh, if they do you know we're all we got nothing else to do so uh <laughs> release that tremor sequel and we will be talking about it uh it's going to be coming at some point this year uh so that's the one i would recommend going back and listening through and watching uh if you have any thoughts on any of those leave them in the comments is the best way to get to us five stars on itunes and we'll talk about it uh as soon as that tremors sequel drops that's right well next week uh we only have to wait three short years for the next film and it 
from the title, it seems like possibly Herbie is fucking fed up and cannot handle dealing with these humans anymore because the next sequel is called Herbie Goes Bananas. Oh, I thought it was Bahamas. <laughs> no, Herbie I'm goes totally Bahamas. I'm, to- I'm totally kidding. <laughs> uh, but that would make more sense. <laughs> I mean, that could really mean anything. So, right. uh, yeah. Well, I I think it's a sequel joke on the Hercules goes bananas, which was a, a Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. But I don't know. I guess we'll see. I think it's like a like. The, Oh, I was going to say, what if Herbie goes to the Chiquita Banana Massacre in uh, <laughs> Central and South America? Herbie through time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm excited to the you guys get there. <laughs> yeah. Yes, oh, thank you. Yeah, I look, for, I look forward to finally having a scientific answer about whether or not we believe that Herbie goes bananas enough in this next movie. <laughs> It's the title of the movie, so he better fucking go bananas or I'm going to... I might go bananas. I don't know. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks again, Alex, for being here. uh, And uh, we will see you all next week for Herbie Goes Bananas. (laughs) 